Well, I hope that you've had an awesome summer. It seems like there was snow on the ground in June. Wait, there was snow on the ground in June in New Brunswick. Anyone excited about school starting back up again? Anyone? Any parents out there? Yeah, just want to shout about that. I saw on Twitter earlier this week where, where uh, Beth Moore, uh, yeah, Beth Moore, the, who's doing the simulcast, uh, she said that her favorite color was always school bus yellow. And I thought that was interesting. Um, and you know what? It, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a nice, long, warm fall from, from now till February? And then like one month of winter, I could, I could probably do one month of winter. Anyhow, I just mentored, mentioned the winter word. You should have booed me right off the stage. Yeah, <laughs> winter. Uh, it's been a really outstanding summer around Moncton West End. Tons of, of new folks visiting us. I got to meet a few this morning again. Uh, people who are here for the very first time this morning. And uh, we're so thankful for that. Uh, we've had good services, God's presence, um, salvations, people coming to Christ in the summer, baptisms in the summer. Uh, the children's ministry has had a great, great summer. Uh, the youth ministries had a really, frankly, a remarkable summer in youth ministry. Uh, tons of momentum in our youth ministry right now. Uh, great atmosphere around the church. Like you just walk in and you just tell, like, people want to be here and they're fired up and uh, expecting good things. Like, it's just a great atmosphere in the summer. This is, this is the long weekend and you're still fired up on the long way. It's awesome. It's awesome. We love it. It's great. Great atmosphere in here. Uh, we had a, a staff day last week where uh, we took uh, most of our staff, went out to Shediac uh, for the day, and, uh, and we had spent the entire day out there, uh, each person sharing their dreams and their vision for this coming season of ministry. And I was so uh, proud and blessed and thankful and excited. I mean, I almost did laps around the parking lot out there at Parley Beach. Like, I, I should have, you know, I just should have come unglued and gone and ran some laps. It was really, really exciting. Then we went to, after our a day of meetings, we went to Capilet for fried clams. And uh, nothing like a fried clam to remind you of the goodness of God. Unless you're a clam. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the summer series going viral. Uh, you were stuck with it for 10 weeks. So I hope you enjoyed it because, you know, it was a long, long series. And as you've already heard, uh, next Sunday we kick off our new series for the fall, Love My City which is not just about, our, you know, Moncton proper. It's really about the, you know, the bigger, uh, greater Moncton, really making greater Moncton greater for Jesus is what we want to do, right? So you understand it's the region. And then in October, we'll look really far ahead. In October, we're doing a series called My Bad Church Experience. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you have friends who won't come back to church because of a bad experience, which is like never eating again after one bad meal. Right? You have, you have friends like that, and we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun with that. I hope that you invite them all. I hope I hope that really the goal is for people who have had a bad experience come come. Let's you know we're gonna talk about it. And um, but every Sunday is, a, is every Sunday really is a great opportunity to invite someone. So today we're at the very end of our series. We're at the very end of uh, Luke's book, The Acts of the Apostles. And the book finishes 
It, it doesn't finish with some, you know, explosive, uh, you know, climatic uh, finish. It's more of a, it just kind of finishes. It's more of a cliffhanger. It's more like the first part of a, of a sequel to make you think, well, what's, well, what's next? And in reality, we're next. You're, we are the, the, we're living out now, you know, the, what's next after uh, the acts of the, of the apostles, the first followers of Jesus. But if you were Luke, if you were writing this story, the story of the very first churches after the resurrection, and if you were building your case for why this movement was so unstoppable and why it went viral against, against all odds, really, if you were writing this book, you might have been tempted to finish your book with some really big, over-the-top uh, account of, of the good news triumphing over evil, but instead, if you read the last chapter of Acts, Luke finishes with, with Paul under house arrest and most of his Jewish audience still rejecting the idea of Jesus as Messiah. And so it doesn't end with some big boom, but, but maybe there's more. Maybe Luke did finish with a crescendo, and maybe we just need to look a little deeper. So we're going to do that. It's Acts chapter 28, and we're going to read... Uh, begin reading in verse 17 of Acts chapter 28. Three days after Paul's arrival, this is, this is in Rome, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and he said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. And even though I, I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, the Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today. He invited these folks to his house. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, we have had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. And he spoke to them from morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. Go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So, Paul continues, I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they'll accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Paul and Jesus had at least one thing in common. The Jews wanted to kill them. Paul and Jesus, they were both pursued, punished, and arrested by their own people for preaching a message that the the Jews refused to accept. Earlier in this chapter, if you read back a little bit in in Acts, Luke gives us a slideshow of what it of what it was like, uh, Paul's journey, of what it took for him to, to get to Rome. This was not uh, an easy journey. I mean, he was, he was determined that he was going to get to Rome. And Luke tells us about storms and shipwrecks, and they had to find a new ship, and they had to find a new crew, and they were weaving their way in and out of these ports, trying to uh, avoid all these, all these storms, dodging weather, angry mobs, snakes, um, eventually making it to Rome, which for Paul was probably the, the climax of his ministry for Paul. It was probably the, the ends of the earth for, for Paul, as far as he could possibly reach in that point of time, in that point in his life. And Luke shows us that there were already some, some believers. There were already some Jesus followers in that area. The gospel had actually spread faster than Paul could, could travel. The gospel was already there. And so these people here, Paul's coming, and he's, he's a bit of a, uh, you know, kind of a rock star, really, in that area. And so these people here, hey, Paul's coming, Paul's coming. And so people from, from Rome were, were, were rushing out, and they were traveling out to, to meet and greet Paul as he's making his, uh, his approach to, to Rome. And he's still under arrest. He's traveling with a guard. Uh, he's, in, he's chained to a guard, probably, or some way that he can't just run off. He's in chains, but, but still able to meet people and, and move quite freely. And when Paul gets to Rome, Luke tells us that he, he rents a place with his own money. I mean, it's bad enough that he's under guard and he's chained, but he has to actually pay his own rent. Rents a place with his own money. The guard stays. The dry sermon today. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll see if this helps. I should have checked to see what was in that. It might have been like, put me to sleep or something. Okay. And when he gets to Rome, he rents a place with his own money. The guards stay with him, and people are free to come and go and visit Paul and provide for his needs. Now, we had a, a healing service here at the church this week. In the middle of the week, someone in our church said, can, can you anoint me with, with oil? A, a woman in our congregation is battling cancer. Absolutely. We were, we were happy to do that. I had a, like a little church service. Actually, it's quite cool. And I was talking to her husband, and he was telling me a story about being out fishing with, uh, with a close friend of the family. And he really desperately wanted to share Jesus with this guy. And they're out there fishing and, in a canoe, and, and he's just like, God, help me, help me find a way. And finally, the Holy Spirit nudges him. And the question that he said to his friend, I think, was, was golden. And he just, out of the blue, just, just said to his friend, what are you going to do with Jesus? And his friend replied, you know, I've been thinking about that. And a few days later, his friend accepted Jesus. They told him that story, and I thought, that's pretty cool. Well, in, in Acts chapter 28, three days after Paul arrives in Rome, he invites all the Jewish leaders right into his home so he can ask them, what are you going to do with Jesus. And I asked 
everyone who's here this morning. Your church, you came, you came to hear the message. So I ask you, what are you going to do with Jesus? And Paul is, is not interested really in his self-preservation. What he's most inter- interested in is others' soul salvation. He's more interested in the soul salvation of others than he is in his own self-preservation. These Jewish leaders that he invites in, these are the people who keep calling for his death. If anyone is going to be threatened by or hostile towards the gospel of Jesus, it's the very people that Paul invites in. It's these Jewish leaders. If anyone is, is going to you know, run off to Nero and be an informant and say, you ought to kill that guy because of, of what he's teaching, if anyone's going to, going to do that, it's, it's these kinds of guys. And so Paul invites the people who hate him the most right into his home so he can tell them about Jesus. That's your homework for this week. See, we're, we're so afraid of, of rejection and, and, or awkwardness or, or offending someone. We have a hard enough time just telling people we go to church. What'd you do this weekend? No, oh, uh, went to Costco. Or, you're like, have a hard enough time just telling people I went to church or I go to even talking about, about that. And, and what do we really have to fear? How about the fear of staying silent? How about the fear of not telling others about Jesus? The fear of political correctness over biblical directives. The fear of people we love going into eternity without Jesus. If you're more worried about what people think of you than what people think of Jesus, that's a problem. This is Community Outreach 101. Paul is putting on a clinic here for us in Acts 28. He invites a group into his home, and then he shares his story with them. And you, many of you, have a great story of what God has done in your life, of who Jesus is in your life. You can help people see the goodness of God and and what God is doing in your life. Paul invites them the first time. He says, I just want us to get acquainted. You know, there's not a lot of pressure. They're having a barbecue or something. You know, I just, I just want us to get acquainted. No big pressure. And they're, they're open. Look at verse 22. We want to hear what you believe. They're open. You know, tell us your story. We want to hear the story about Jesus in what you believe. And so they decide to meet again. They come to Paul's once, then they decide to meet again. And the next time they come, it's a huge crowd. A much larger crowd shows up at Paul's place. And Luke says in verse 23 that Paul did three key things to, with this large crowd at his house. He did three key things. Let me, let me um, I don't think we have it on the screen, but let me, let me bring it up here for you. A time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. He explained and he testified and he persuaded. Explaining is knowing what you believe. Explaining is just, is just knowing, you know, 
who Jesus is and what he's done, knowing what you believe. Testifying is knowing why you believe it. This is, this is who I was before Christ. This is what he's done in my life. This is what I've seen God do. This is who I am after. This is how God has changed me. That's testifying. And persuading is helping someone else understand why and how they can believe it too. I'm going to go back over that really quick. Back that up one more time. He explained, he testified, and he persuaded. Explaining is knowing what you believe. Testifying is knowing why you believe. And persuading is helping someone else understand why and how they can believe it too. Not arguing. You'll never argue someone into heaven. So if you've ever been tempted to think that our services are too long here at Moncton Wesleyan, Paul preaches to them from morning till night. In Acts chapter 20, actually, Paul was, was preaching one time, and he preached so long that there was a young man who was asleep uh, in the window, and Paul kept preaching, and he went on so long. The guy fell asleep, and then he fell three stories out of the window and died. Fell to his death while Paul was preaching. So Paul ran downstairs and, and brought him back to life. Apparently, if you kill someone with your preaching, it's your responsibility to bring them back from the dead. Make sure, this is a good time. Go ahead. Make sure the person beside you is awake. Go ahead. Right now, go ahead. Make sure that they're awake. You know, pokey, pokey, wakey, wakey. And so this crowd is there, and Paul's preaching to them from, from morning until night. And he explains to them the kingdom about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And so Paul goes back to the very beginning. And, you know, starting in Genesis from the very, very beginning, the books of Moses... And he's basing all of, all of his personal beliefs on the Word of God, which is what we do, right? Base all of your beliefs on the Word of God. And he unpacks for these people all of God's story, the kingdom of God from the very beginning. How it was always God's plan to redeem his people and to restore his people. How all of the, all of the books and all of the prophets... They, they all, uh, in all of history, they all point to one redeemer, one sacrifice, one atonement for all people for one time. And his name is Jesus. Paul would have told them about the, the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Birth and Bethlehem. And then Jesus being raised in Nazareth. And he spent hours with them connecting the dots and naming prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that only Jesus could have fulfilled. He would have told them about the miracles of Jesus. He would have told them about the teachings of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and how the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem didn't accept Jesus, and ultimately they turned him in, turned on him, turned him into Pilate, and he was crucified on a sinner's cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. That was probably only about noon. That was, that was not the end of the story. This is probably where, where Paul's intensity really starts to build, you know, and, and he gets, the passion really starts to come through, and he really, really, really gets the whites of their eyes. And he tells them that Jesus was dead. He wasn't sort of dead. He wasn't kind of dead. He was dead, dead. Paul said, Paul would have told them, look, they stuck a spear in his side and they watched the water and the blood separate and pour out. The dude, he was dead, dead, dead. And they, they took his body and prepared him for burial, placing him in a borrowed tomb. 
Paul would have explained to them how the tomb was guarded and it was sealed with a, with a massive large stone. Yet early on the third day, when a couple of Jesus' followers, who were morning in the morning, went to the tomb, they went to visit a dead Jesus. There was no dead Jesus. There was an angel there to proclaim the greatest message ever proclaimed in all of history. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. <laughs> and, you know, dragging his chains around the room. You can just imagine Paul getting animated and these chains clanging, you know, and, and he's stuck to this guard guy, but, you know, he's, he's still, still excited, dragging his chains around the room. Paul would have told them, look, he appeared to his disciples, the resurrected Jesus, with, with scars in his hands and scars in his feet and a scar on his side and scars on his head, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples. He would have told them where and when and who exactly was there. Then he would have told them how hundreds of people actually saw. They talked to the resurrected Jesus. They touched him. They ate with him. And if he sensed any disbelief, any scoffing in the crowd, he could have told them that, hey, the Roman guards never found a body. There was no body to find. You couldn't prove that, that, that he had not raised from the dead. Now, Paul would have told them how the disciples could never have snuck in. You can't, you can't sneak in on Roman guards and steal a body. You can't roll away that stone and steal a body. The only explanation is that God raised his son from the grave. And the reason that Christianity was going viral the reason it broke out of Jerusalem and ran ahead of Paul to places like Rome is not because people were following a myth or a hoax or an idol or an idea or even a bunch of good teaching, but because people who encountered a Messiah who predicted his death and resurrection and he pulled it off. If you are, yeah, if you... I mean, someone can predict their, their death and resurrection and pull it off. Follow that person. Follow them. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that, that Paul would have focused on in his teaching because it's, it's, it's the hinge pin of history. It's the hinge in your story of where, you know, whether or not you, where you land on that, whether or not you believe that Jesus really was God's son and he really was dead. And he really rose from the grave. Everything hinges on whether or not Jesus rose from the grave. And Luke says some believed and some didn't. And unfortunately, not everyone is going to believe. But remember, in, in, in that crowd, in Paul's rented house in Rome that day, these were, these were Jewish leaders who had been raised in this. They'd been steeped in Judaism from birth. For even some of them to believe, as Luke says, was pretty remarkable. Uh, believing in Jesus for them, right then in, in that moment on that day, would have meant being tossed out of their family or out of their community, uh, total loss of income, persecution, and possibly even death. So it's really quite remarkable. Let's look at verse 25. You can't see the TV over there. There you go. Verse 25. Can you see the TV over there now? Vicky, okay. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. 
The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, 26, Go and say to this people, and we've highlighted these words, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And I love how Paul credits the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit was right. Uh, he, he gives the Holy Spirit credit for inspiring Isaiah to write these words. And he's not only reminding them of what Isaiah said. And he's not just reminding them, hey, you're just as stubborn as your forefathers before you. He's showing them that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Isaiah said what he said and wrote these words because the Holy Spirit was alive. Then the Holy Spirit was active in Isaiah, and the Holy Spirit breathed those words into Isaiah to be captured as the eternal Word of God. And Paul is using the Word to point to the Word. He's using the words of God spoke given to Isaiah to point to Jesus, the Word. And all of Scripture points to Jesus. It's all about Him. God's Word is eternal. It's not random. It's not dead. It's not out of touch. It's as alive for us today, right now in this room, as it was for Paul sitting in a rented house in Rome with his chains, with an armed guard, and a large group of Jewish leaders as Paul reaches back 700 years to quote Isaiah. It's just as true for us here in this room this morning. It is the, it's eternal. So we highlighted three particular words in those verses 25 and 26. We highlighted hear and see and heart. And I want to speak clearly this morning and lovingly to anyone who is here this morning who is undecided about Jesus. Isaiah, the Apostle Paul, and Pastor Tim are reaching out to people who are capable of hearing and seeing and knowing God. The person that the Isaiah text is referring to is someone who is, who is choosing not. They're choosing not to hear and not to see and not to open their heart. They have uh, four hands, two to cover their ears and two to cover their eyes at the same time. They, they explain away the things that they've heard or the things, that, things they've seen. They've seen. They could believe in God, but they're choosing not to. For some, it's a battle between the faith to believe what they've heard and seen and felt in their heart versus what seems rational and believable and understandable in their mind. And, they, and that is, that's, that's the battle. And I'm not asking anyone to check their brain at the door. And I think there are a lot of good, sensible reasons to believe in God. I believe there is evidence for a creator all around us. And it, it can't be all heart and no head, but it can't be all head and no heart. And if your mind 
and, and your comprehension and your intellect have been, have been stumbling blocks for you to coming to Jesus. I just want to ask you this morning, can you make room, can you make room for some faith? Can you make room for some faith? What have you seen God do? Um, where's, there's a little tiny baby Louie here this morning. I know he's over here. How old is baby Louie? He's five days. Welcome, baby Louie. Have you ever held a newborn baby in your hands and just marveled? And just think, there has to be a creator. Like, this, this is impossible. You think about it. Like, this is just, it's just, it just blows your mind. Have you ever just stopped to marvel at the complexity, the variety, the, the intricate details of the world around us? I was reading um, Mark Batterson's new book. Uh, it's called Grave Robber. I was reading that this week. And on page 19, Mark is talking about how uh, miraculous in a life really is. I'm going to give you some of, some of what Mark shared on page 19. He says this. He says, the chair that you're sitting in right here is currently spinning at a thousand miles an hour just because it's attached to the planet. That's pretty cool. We're also hurtling through space, the planet, at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. Not bad. We're making good time. On a day when you think you didn't get much done, you traveled 1,599,793 miles. Put that in your calorie tracker. The Milky Way itself. So Earth is doing all that. But then we're a part of the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is traveling at 483,000 miles per hour. Staggering. Anyone else ever felt like the brain was a little slow? Am I the only one? I got one coming for you. Anyone else? Woof. Your brain can perform up to 10 quadrillion calculations per second using only 10 watts of power. So the next time someone tells you your boat is bright as a 10-watt bulb, 10 quadrillion calculations per second in that coconut that God gave you. It's amazing. If your personal gene sequence was written out longhand, it would be a 3 billion word book. That's you. That's how unique you are. How God designed you. You aren't just surrounded by miracles. You are a miracle. Go ahead and... So, look at the person beside you and say, I'm a miracle. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm a miracle. You can't just see and hear with your mind. You need to see and hear with your heart also. At the beginning, I mentioned, um, the beginning of the message, I said that, you know, the book of Acts just kind of ends quietly. There's no big viral explosion, and this is how the church went bonkers. Um, unless, unless it's hidden. 
And we just need to dig a little deeper. So let's, verses 30 and 31, as we wrap it up. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. And he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. You see, at first glance, it looks like it looks like Rome wins and Paul loses at first glance. It looks like the Jews win and Jesus loses. Because Paul is under, he's still under house arrest. And, and worse than that, he's got, he's got to pay for the, the house that he's arrested in. He's got to pay his own rent. And what Luke shows us is a perfect example of the upside-down kingdom of God. That God uses the weak to make others strong. He uses Paul's chains to set others free. And what looked like a hopeless situation to some, it was actually filled. The house was filled with with promise and filled with good news because people heard, they, hey, Paul, the apostle Paul is in Rome. So people traveled and they were allowed to, to go and visit him in his home. And then Paul was a captive audience. He couldn't go anywhere. And his house was open. And apparently the guard was fine with people coming and going. And Paul would teach people about the, the, about the good news of Jesus Christ. And people would see Paul's Paul's faith and his his passion for Jesus and how even in spite of so many trials and all that he had gone through that he still loves Jesus and he still believes that Jesus is the Messiah and people would see that there was something truly contagious about Paul's faith and so people would leave that encounter with Paul and they'd be unstoppable. They would leave that, they think, if God can do that in Paul's life, and if Paul's praising Jesus in chains, waiting here to die, what can God do in my life? And people would leave there, and then they would go viral. And then they would go to their, their communities, and they'd not be worried about self-preservation. They'd be worried about others' soul salvation. And they were unstoppable because they had no fear. And they're like, everybody needs to know about Jesus. And the church grew. And the church grew. And God used Paul's chains to set others free. It's the upside-down kingdom of God. Now let me finish with just, just, just three key thoughts from this series that I, I want to, I just want to, I hope that we can grab hold of these as we leave this morning. Number one, the church is still going viral and it will till Jesus returns. Jesus said that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Number two, If that's true, then there is nothing greater for us to give our lives to than building the church of Jesus, leading others to Christ. There's there's nothing greater, there's nothing more important than the salvation of of every soul. It's the greatest thing in the world. Number three, today can be the day that you follow your heart and you hear the voice of Jesus, and you accept him by faith as your Savior. There could be some here this morning who, the, the barrier for you, the, the block has just been the, the, the intellectual side of things, where you need to have all the blanks filled in, you need to have all the answers, and you get too many questions. And, 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 and what you've been doing is you've, it's just been a head thing. And you've not given room for, for the heart as well. You haven't given room for, for faith and, uh, 
and trusting Jesus. Because none of us will ever have all the answers. Right? You've heard me, many of you have heard me say this before. The beginning of understanding is understanding that you'll never understand everything. Like if you say, I'll come to Jesus after I have all the answers, you'll never have all the answers. It requires faith. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. Lord, I pray for our church right now, headed into a new fall season of ministry. And we're excited. We're very fired up. And we want your fire to fall like never before. And we want to see as many people come to Jesus uh, as possible in our lifetimes. We would love to see revival. We would love to see the Holy Spirit of God sweep over the Maritimes like never before. And we'd like to be a part of that. And we're praying. We're praying to that end. And if Moncton Wesleyan has a role in that, then God help us to be faithful, obedient, risk-taking, sacrificial. Lord, as next week approaches, I pray that you would give us a fresh burden for greater Moncton that we can make your name famous in our communities. Lord, I pray right now specifically for anyone here today who has been maybe coming closer to faith and accepting you, but there's still been some barriers, some hurdles. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them ears to hear and eyes to see goodness of God, and that you would just whisper to their soul this morning that you love them, you see them. I pray, God, that you would give them faith, give them courage, help them to overcome those obstacles, I pray. And we do this, Lord, because we love people and we believe this is your command go and share the good news that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So uh, be with us now as we continue to worship. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, before we sing, Pastor Jay, what I like to do is, is give an invitation. And, um, and I just want to be really, really, really really clear and, and I hope this never gets to be routine because it's not routine in heaven there are angels ready to dance and break out and party so it's, it's, it's not routine but for anyone here this morning who you, you've just never made this decision before and, and you you don't know that you have a whether or not you have a relationship with Christ and you're thinking um, that you'd like to have that peace you'd like to know and it is, it, it, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it is a leap of faith. It's, it's, it requires faith. It just does. But maybe you'd say today, today, today's my day. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get over those obstacles and those barriers. And I'm going to believe. And I'm going to start with the amount of belief that I have right now. The amount of faith that I have right now. And I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. And then I'm going to. Let him be Lord of my life. 
going to live for him and just start to find out what that means as I invite him to come into my life. And if that's you this morning, um, I invite you to just stand right now, which is a pretty bold move. Um, but it's helpful, I think. It's helpful for all of us because if you stand for Jesus now, it'll be easier to stand for him when you get to work tomorrow or wherever, or when you go home this afternoon. I take that stand. And then we all know that you made a decision for Christ. And we can cheer you on and be praying for you and encourage you. So that's all I'm going to say. If there's anyone here this morning who would like to stand to your feet and accept Christ as your Savior uh, for the very first time, I invite you to stand right now so that we can that we can applaud. Hey, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's exciting back there. Wow. Awesome. Someone else. All right. Sometimes just by saying we're going to move on, then people stand up sometimes. Are we okay? That's exciting. God bless you back there. Let me... um, yeah, that's exciting. Let me let me let me just lead her in a prayer. Just there's nothing special about my prayer. What's what's important is the decision you made with Christ. And let me just lead you in a little prayer. Let's pray together with her, folks. As she simply says, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I'm asking you right now to be Lord of my life. And I'm trusting in you today. I'm saying right now in this moment. That I believe, I have faith. In Jesus, I'm asking you to come into every part of my life. I won't hold anything back. You have the keys to every room in my life. I give you full control. Wash me clean. Make me your child right now. Give me a fresh start. I believe that you died for my sin. You took my punishment on a sinner's cross. And I believe that you rose again spend eternity in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life today. Thank you. Help me to, to follow you and trust you with the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.